Are you enjoying this? You have to, well, it depends on which day it is, you know. <laughs> no, uh, it's, uh, it's a little overwhelming. It is, I know. Of course, people think I'm leaving, but I'm not. That's right. You know, I'm still That's hanging right. around. But, That's right. Uh, you've been so gracious. It's been fun. Yeah, I want to take an opportunity just to welcome everybody. And today, what we've decided to do is, since Pastor George is stepping down off of the um, platform for his music ministry, and he's been involved in music over 59 plus years. Um, we thought we would just take some time and just honor him. And one of the ways we could honor him is that you get to hear some of the things that the staff and I get to hear on a regular basis. Um, a lot of wisdom in this man. And so I want to welcome you and all those who are watching online. I think we've got some people from Oklahoma Crossings Church that are watching. So we want to welcome them and um, so, Pastor George, I, I kind of want to just visit with you and just kind of have a conversation. So, I thought I'd start out by asking, what's the most embarrassing moment in your, in your <laughs> ministry? Huh? <laughs> there are too many, but uh, it started very early in my life. Um, I was about five or six, and uh, I was in my little home church in Moscow, Idaho. And by the way, it's still standing, and I should have brought a picture and we could have shown it, but… Uh, uh, the pianist didn't show up for worship that night, and uh, so we sang everything a cappella. Everything went well until the offering time, and the pastor knew that I was on the piano some, so he said, why don't you come and play the offertory? Well, I got up and I played Buttons and Bows, which is an old-timey song that was on the radio, and that's where I was getting all my tunes from. I listened to the radio, and I would improvise on the piano. And uh, so everybody left because it was not a church song. And in the meantime, I cried because, you know, I felt, you know, I'd done a good job, and here they were laughing. And my mother had to say, George, uh, they loved it, but, you know, and that's where I learned the difference between sacred and secular. I learned very quickly, you only play certain songs in church, and you only listen on the radio to the other stuff. Um, let, let's tell them some of the fun that we have at church. So, what was it, four or five years ago, it was pre-COVID, um, Pastor George and I were having a conversation about background music. And we were asking, I don't know if many of you remember this, but we gave out a survey at the church. Remember that? And we did it during the church service. And then Pastor George got a piano and he was playing the background music. Well, I had just learned about how you do that and all that kind of stuff. And so I asked him, I said, let's have a little fun. I said, I want you to use these two songs as your background music. You remember what those songs were? Yes. What was one of them? Well, one of them was uh, the background for your favorite movie. Yeah, the Andy Griffith Show. Yes. <laughs> and the other one was, you remember what that one was? You know what? You Jeremiah get... was a bullfrog. Yes. <laughs> so he was playing that along, and you'd hear the different tunes, and he and I were the only ones that knew that, but we had a great time. Yeah, that we was very sacrilegious, wasn't it? It was, wasn't it? <laughs> I want to take you back to your butts and bows days, right? <laughs> Well, Pastor George, let's talk a little bit. You've been, you've been in ministry for 59-plus years. Can you just tell everybody, where have you all been? Well, uh, we were, Pat and I went to the University of Idaho, and we grew, both grew up in Moscow. And uh, so uh, I 
helped with the music there in the little church in Moscow, Idaho, from the time I was about in junior high up through high school. Then we moved to Philadelphia after I graduated uh, from Temple University in Philadelphia. Uh, and so in Philadelphia, we found a little church in New Jersey, a Church of God, Highland Park Church of God in Gloucester City, New Jersey. And uh, so I did the music, and the youth there, Pat was, she and I did the youth ministry. And uh, we were there for probably almost eight years. And then the church in Toledo, Ohio called us. And we were there for three years doing youth and music. And uh, then we went back to Gloucester City and to Philadelphia, taught school again, and did the music at the church, and I finished my master's at Temple. Okay. From there, we went to Phoenix, Arizona, to North Hills uh, Church, which is a church of God there. And um, after that, we were there for about eight years, then came here for about eight years in Wichita. And Pastor, uh, Pastor Ray was pastor, pastor here Ray then, was he? here, yes. And uh, then at the end of eight years, we moved to Oklahoma City to Crossings, which was then Bell Isle Community Church. We're there for 20 years. And then you came to Oklahoma City, and we connected, and then we came back here for almost the next 10 years. Wow. That's been amazing. So before we get into what I want to talk about, I want to talk about this little lady over here. Yes. Okay. Pat, Please. I think her name is, right? Yes. Pat, would you stand? I just want to acknowledge you. <laughs> so I won't, get, I won't get too personal, but so when did you first lay eyes on Pat? I think they'll be interested to know this. <laughs> well... <laughs> When we looked at our second grade pictures, we found out we were both in the same class. In second grade? In second grade. And then she went to another school, and we didn't connect until high school with Youth for Christ. And all she remembers is telling her mother that she knew this little fat boy in second grade <laughs> that played the piano. <laughs> so I'm still the fat boy that plays the piano. That's right. There we go. There we go. Um, that's pretty funny. Now, I, I think it's really important that um, no, nobody can do what you do without the kind of support that Pat was able to give you. That's right. Just talk about that a little bit and the, the importance of that, that support system from, from Pat that she gave you as your wife. Yeah. I've known a lot of pastors who have struggled and that would be whether it's a woman or a man, because the spouse, um, in supporting, it's very difficult sometimes, because we are called to do things at different hours in different ways. Um, and I guess I've always been a builder in my heart. I've always wanted to build a, a ministry, the ministry, and to support what the church is doing. And so there are many nights that I'm not there. I'm doing rehearsals, doing whatever. Um, and sometimes hospital calls, whatever comes in. And Pat has never complained. She's always supported. She's never talked against the church or said, you know, or felt bad towards the church. But she's loved it and known that it was the bride of Christ. 
and she's treated it as that. And whenever I said, you know, I feel the calling that we need to go to this place, uh, she's never said no. She said, you know, uh, let's go. So I've been most privileged. I'm a privileged man, and God knew what He was doing when He put the two of us together, even though I'm sure sometimes she wanted to throttle me or, (laughs) you know, whatever. So just for a sec, what was your first date with with Pat? Do you remember what it was? Well, there were… I played for this ladies' trio for Youth for Christ. And uh, the whole thing of Planning Center is nothing new uh, because Youth for Christ was doing it way back when, and that's where Heibel's got it, and that's where we've all gotten it from him uh, because Youth for Christ always timed out everything minute by minute. Well, anyway, I accompanied uh, this ladies' tree, and we practice at noon at the high school. They let us practice. And so that's where I really got to know Pat, and from there it just blossomed into… And then our, after our second year in college, we married. Wow. She's always been your first soprano, right? That's right. My first soprano, uh, my first lady. So. That's right. Okay, so let's go all the way back to when you were beginning. Pastor George, why worship? What happened to you when you were little? <laughs> well… First of all, we had a a pastor's wife. She loved kids, and she did a children's church way back in the 50s. And so she would take us down to the basement of the church, Winona Ogle, and uh, we would have church, and we would have songs that we would sing. I would play the piano, and uh, uh, she even had a boys' quartet that got together, and, and kids sang solos. And in fact, it was so embedded in me that, that uh, worship was part of even children could worship. And uh, so I would play church out on our front porch. I'd have the neighbor's kids, and then there were four of us kids, and so we'd all be up there, we'd play church. And it was kind of weird, really, because, you know, uh, the neighbors probably thought I was a cuckoo, but I was uh, uh, in that regard. But more than that, I grew up underneath a picture that hung over the piano that I practiced on, and at one time I didn't want to practice anymore, and I had… I got three spankings in one night. Uh, (laughs) And… but there were nothing compared to what I recognized was in that picture. In that picture was Christ on the cross. It was an old Renaissance painting, and I've looked for it, and I don't even know who painted it, but it was of Jesus on the cross. He had just died. There were dark billowing clouds, lightning in it, dark purples and blacks, and a little bit of blood running down a rivulet in front of the cross. Mary was leaning up against him, a tear in her eye. She had a halo over her, so I knew it was Renaissance. And so many times I just sat at the piano and improvised what it must have been to be on that cross and what I and my relationship with Him would be. I asked my mother, what does all this mean? And she shared with me. And of course, then I became a Christian. I remember I was about six and um, Brother Cooper was, uh, he was substituting in our little church in Idaho. And I remember 
giving me my heart to Jesus. So I would play to Jesus on the cross. I would play to that whole scene. And it was through that that I began the inner worship of God. Um, and even today, uh, that giving out love, and that's what worship is, giving our love back yeah. to Jesus. Yeah. So, so what it, t- tell us about worship. What, what is it that you have learned over all these years of ministry, and why is worship so important to you? Well, it's, it's not just Sunday morning. And I'm sorry if the only worship you have is this room. Because worship needs to take place in our daily lives wherever we're at. The sandwich in the lunchroom, that's God's gift. There's worship in that sandwich. We take in the food. We take in the heat in the middle of the night when it's a cold blizzard outside. And we have the warmth. That's God's gift to us. We say, thank you, God. The car that I drive, even though I have some boo-boos on it, you know, (laughs) it still works, and God gets me from place to place. It's the little things. It's those inner touches that we have as human beings, one with another, that we worship day by day, and we make space for Him in our lives. We, we take moments when we get away and we're alone and we're silent and we hear the breathing of the Holy Spirit into our minds and our hearts, even in the planning of worship and how often we've not always talked about a sermon or whatever, but the music fits what happens. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and you have this continual relationship with the Father so that when you come on a Sunday morning, you are so full of the abundance of God in your life, of joy in your life, that there's an outburst, an outpouring of the Spirit on this place. And then you're ready for the next week and you worship every day in your own way, whether it's through prayer, through quietness, whether it's meeting with a Christian friend and you you develop relationships within the body of Christ with people who help and who pray for you in your deepest needs. And then when the big things come, you have the power, the strength, and the ability to face it and not to collapse. We have our youth that sits in this section here. Let's talk a little bit about what happened at Asbury University. We talked a little bit about that in first service. You know, um, there was uh, a lot of people were trying to figure out what was happening at Asbury. Mm-hmm. And when they came back and they would explain to people what it was that they experienced, it was something different than what everybody thought. Yeah. But there was, there was a heaviness. Mm-hmm. There was a, a presence that was there. And why don't you talk a little bit about that, and especially to our younger generation, because I know you've got some words for them. The Gen too. Zs, that's what they call you, right? <laughs> Could, would you all stand up? I need to see the Gen Zs in here. Yeah. Thank you. I heard one person talk this week, and he said, you know, the Gen Zs have been abused. You have been abused. You have been given 
an interesting society to live in. It's very difficult to live in your shoes right now in innocence. In the past two or three hundred years, you know, it used to be that a child could be a child until they met their teens. But no longer can you live in innocence, that even in grade school now, you are given information that I didn't even know about until I was in high school. The media is stretching you. It is showing you all kinds of stuff. Uh, media has, has taken us, you need know things more almost before it happens. And we all do. Every generation has been abused in some way. I grew up very poor. Uh, both Pat and I came from, uh, I wouldn't say we were in poverty because we always had food and everything, but we didn't have everything. And we adopted our son while we were in Oklahoma City. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to give Max all I can. I'm going to show him all the love that I can, and he's going to be just like Jesus. Well, he gave us a run for our money. <laughs> he took all our money. <laughs> I just realized that. <laughs> we gave and we gave and we gave. And it was the worst thing we could have done. Because we thought, well, you know, we didn't have much, so our kids are going to have it. The good thing is he's serving God today. He's serving Jesus. And we need the Holy Spirit to come, just like Asbury. And as I got the story, it happened because six kids, or students at the college, they got six kids together and started praying that the Holy Spirit would come to Asbury, would come into their lives and into the lives of the school. And this went on for a couple of years. They vowed that they would pray 30 minutes every day by themselves, but they got together one day a week in community prayer. And they checked on each other to make sure that they were each praying 30 minutes a day. And then it spread to another group and another group. And there were these many groups that were praying that the Holy Spirit would come and fill their hearts, fill the hole in their hearts fill the hole in the school. And I don't believe you can just make this stuff up. You can't force a revival. You can't force a refreshing of the Spirit. But I believe a lot of it is going to come from the young people, from the new generation, possibly from the Gen Zs. And I told the first service today, I'm going to be in the chapel at 6.30 Tuesday morning. And I'm going to be praying that Central has a refreshing of spirit. We get here for a good time, and we get here for worship. And we get here for the message. But many times that's where it stops, and it's got to continue. It's got to envelop us. It's got to be our passion.
to experience the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's a heavy thing, but it's the most beautiful thing in the world. One of the most beautiful things in the world that happened to me is we were, Pat and I were able to go to Oberammergau in Germany to see the Passion Play in 2010. And we went to the Vatican, and I remember turning the corner in their great uh, basilica. And there to my right was the Piata, Mary holding the body of Jesus in this solid piece of marble that this genius had cut out of stone. And I wept at the beauty again. I don't know what you have to do to find what makes your own spiritual life real to you. But you've got to find it. And you go to the water, sometimes it's in art, sometimes it's outdoors in nature, sometimes it's meeting with the most beautiful person you know, your wife or your husband, or a friend that, that gives life into you. But if you don't have that plus for the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, you don't have much chance standing alone. This scripture is just so important to us that love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus put it down to that, love God, love others. And if you don't love others, even the ones that get under your skin, sometimes our children do that, don't they? But we still love them. It's what we have to do. It's how God is ministering to us today. And uh, the church family, we could be filling this place with the joy of the Lord. A thing happened to me once when I was in this room. I like to play in the dark. And that's really weird to some of you, but when the lights are off and it's just me and the Lord, and I'll sit at the keys. And this happened when I was here between 86 and 93. I don't remember what day it is or year, but I know that it happened. And I was playing, and it's though the lights came on, this place was packed like it was for the majesty of Christmas. And we were all here in one accord. Not the car, but we were here. And at that particular moment, the Holy Spirit fell on this place. And it was like a wave, a sweeping wave. People were on their faces. They were lifting hands to Jesus. There was nothing big, grand. It was just a movement. It's like a wheat field of the heads of the wheat. And as the wind blows through it, you see the wave. The Holy Spirit does that. 
He comes in, in waves over us and He sweeps us up. And He gives us what we need. We need that infilling in our spirits. We need to have the fullness of His Spirit in us. And worship helps us to get there. And then the words that come, all that we come to do every day is part of that worship. And that's the joy. And I hope many of you will want to come Tuesday morning at 6.30. If it's 30 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever, but we're going to pray that the Holy Spirit and the work of Christ joins us here. So, Pastor George, did we kind of bring this to a close? We got this young man over here that you're uh, passing the baton to. Yes. So, what would you like to tell the church about him? You know, the whole choir, the whole orchestra showed up for him today. Not one person was missing. And you know his whole band and everybody showed up for him today. And you know what? The Holy Spirit was as present as it ever has been. Pastor Phil, you're a brother in Christ. And the Spirit of Christ brings unity. I take orders now from him. <laughs> I take orders from him. He's now the lead worshiper. And this guy is the lead, lead worshiper. And I take orders from him. You see, it's not about who I am, it's about who he is. And I love it because now I worship unencumbered. I don't have to worry that every C is sharp and every D has a dot beside it in this particular song. So, anyway. Pastor George, you have led well, and you have been extremely faithful. Thank and you. I think that you can agree is that, as you've told me many, many times, this church is not about you, but this church is on the right path. It's got the right people in the right places mm -hmm. to lead worship, and we're going to be okay, right? Yes. That's right. Phenomenally. Would you like to close us in prayer? I sure will. Father, your spirit resides in us and through us. Even as little children, some of us saw you, and we didn't know what you really were. But as we grow into your kingdom, Father, we understand more and more who you are. I pray, Father, that you will grab us, so to speak, pull us into relationships with yourself so much that we hear your heart beating, we hear your voice speaking, and your presence becomes more important than anything else. Father, help us to see us, ourselves, as your children, not as your orphans. Help us to see ourselves as part of your family, as well as the family here on earth, and that you love us just like a parent, and even more because you know our very, very innermost selves. So, Father, 
we give you this day. Continue your work in us throughout the week. And Father, if this morning we need to accept you as our personal Savior right where we are, may you come and do that work in us. And all we have to say is, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. May you go in the joy and the peace of this day. May you know the joy of the Lord, this house of joy. And may we love each other like never before, because we are brothers and sisters in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Would you stand, please? Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, his joy, and his strength. God bless you. We'll see you next week.